Hello, I'm Stuart Preston, and this is the Stoned Ape Reports, where I have conversations with those who have changed their lives with the power of psychedelics. Quick announcement, you know about my one-man show, The Stoned Ape Show. Well, now there's a book titled The Grief Trip, How I Learned to Heal with Grief and Psychedelics. You can find it at thegrieftrip.com. 100% of proceeds go to the Ian Preston Memorial Fund to help support mental health and suicide prevention. Okay, back to the podcast. In this episode, I had the honor of speaking with Jared Reinhardt. Jared is a certified psychedelic integration coach and volunteers with the Heroic Hearts Project, a nonprofit that connects military veterans struggling with mental trauma to psychedelic therapy options, including ayahuasca, psilocybin, and ketamine. Jared shares his personal journey and work with psychedelics. So let's hear from Jared. Well, Jared, thank you so much for uh, coming here with me on the uh, Stone Dape Report. So I'm really honored to hear your story and have you share the story with our listeners. So first of all, just thank you for your time and your openness to come here and do this. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. It's a, it's a real honor to be here. Well, well thank you. Yeah. So let's, uh, let's kind of just jump right in here. What I like to do is find out kind of overall what was going on in somebody's life what their medicine journeys, how those helped, and then how life is a little bit different afterwards. So maybe you could, you know, give us a little bit of background as to what was going on in your life that kind of brought you to your medicine work. Uh, well, I'm a former Marine. I was mm-hmm. in, uh, I was in uh, two seven and there was a lot of trauma that was in my battalion and uh, still is to this day uh, in the veteran mm-hmm. community. The, uh, I never got to go on their Afghanistan deployment, but I came on to that unit right after they had gotten back. And I didn't see it at the time because I was so enmeshed in uh, in the group. But now I can really see the hurt that was on those guys from that deployment. And mm-hmm. um, and to be honest, I, I had a lot of shame because I was an infantry Marine. I had a lot of shame buried inside because I'd never got my chance to go to Afghanistan or Iraq as a Marine. Mm-hmm. And in that, that started weighing down on me pretty hard because that was a keystone of an infantry Marine identity, especially at that time was to go yeah. on combat deployment. And so when I got out of the military in 2011, it, um, I was in a lot of, um, I was in a really depressed state integrating from being a Marine to a regular civilian was not easy. was not easy at all. Uh, I went from, having uh, a brotherhood around me that uh, loved me or hate me, but they were going to take care of me. Mm. And I went from having a a structured, organized life to having no uh, structure at all. And I had a a marriage at the time that was failing because I was so deep into uh, drinking and uh, smoking pot and basically just doing anything I could to avoid uh, doing the the inner work on looking mm. at myself and seeing where I was at. Um, so this feeling of not being comfortable back in this, back in my hometown uh, just kept growing and growing and I couldn't really uh, get a handle on it. I was really angry all the time. I was drinking all the time. And so the next option for me was because I couldn't find a good job out of being an infantry Marine to uh, the civilian world. You have two options really. And you got security guard or police officer. And I didn't want to do a police officer job. Uh, I just wouldn't make a good police officer. Hmm. <laughs> so um, I, I decided to go the contracting route 
to get out of my situation. And so I uh, put my resume out there as a, uh, as a former Marine and, and my, uh, I had a security clearance at the time. So I went to a contract in Iraq or no, excuse me, in Afghanistan for my first contract. And I was uh, stationed on Camp Leatherneck doing uh, security work there. Hmm. And uh, so that was my, that was, I got to finally go to, uh, to Afghanistan, which is where I always wanted to go as a Marine, uh, right. when I was a contractor. And, uh, the funny thing about it was, is that I showed up about a month after they had a really big attack there. So I was expecting a lot of, uh, a lot of stuff to happen. We, we had a, a lot of IDF come through, but nothing, nothing really that would, uh, that I would consider like combat for myself. Yeah. And, what is IDF? Uh, IDF is indirect fire. So like rockets and mortars oh, yeah, yeah. would okay. be striking the base. And, and so there were, there were times when like my, uh, I would wake up in the middle of the night to the sound of the sirens and the explosions happening close by. And, uh, I usually just kind of rolled over and went back to sleep. It didn't, uh, it didn't really <laughs> affect me. <laughs> at least I didn't think at the time. Yeah. And, uh, and so when I went back home, after that year of being in Afghanistan, I did a year straight out there and then I went home and uh, came home and then it was even harder to integrate because now I went from uh, this combat zone with the, with that same feeling that I had of structure and brotherhood and everything else uh, gone again. Mm-hmm. So I uh, went back into my drinking patterns and my drug use went up. And a bunch of stuff just kind of spearheaded, and I started bouncing at uh, at strip clubs to to make money. When I ran out of my contract money, and then uh, eventually I went back to another contract in Iraq. And this one, I was deciding I was going to stay out there. I was just going to stay out there for you know ten years if I needed to. I was just going to make mm. enough money to retire and and never have to do this again. Um, so. I knuckled under and got debt free and all that stuff and was on this, uh, this really great security contract that I was on. So we were protecting people, places and things, uh, out in Iraq. And I was training a lot of the Iraqi soldiers and doing a lot of work out there. And I had 30 days of leave a year that I could take. And so for one of those 30 days, I had been listening to, uh, some podcasts and, and watching some videos recently about, uh, ayahuasca and uh, I was pretty experienced with my psychedelic usage I had worked with mushrooms and LSD and, and whatnot and mm. my girlfriend at the time was a big psychonaut so she always was uh, was providing that stuff for me which nice. at the at the time the the setting I would do them in was more of a either a one-on-one with her or like a party setting so there was no right. uh, so I didn't I didn't get a I got a lot out of it but I didn't really hang on to the stuff that I had uh, received from it. Um, but it, it did definitely open my eyes to new types of thinking and new types mm-hmm. of, of being. So I decided to go to the jungle in Peru at this, uh, at this place in Pucalpa and it's a wonderful center. They, um, they, they do nine day retreats and we do four ayahuasca ceremonies. And so I was, I was so afraid of going down there because I had heard all these uh, stories of people purging and going <laughs> through like traumatic events and all this stuff. But at the end of it, everyone seemed to be like on cloud nine. 
and talking about how they uh, have a different relationship with God and mm-hmm. all this craziness. So I was, uh, it just piqued my interest so much that people would talk about such a, such a hard experience, but then come out of it on the other side, like clean. So yeah. I, I had to, I had to find out for myself. And at that point, I actually have a, a parable to this. Well, not really a parable, but a, a, a another part of this story is before I went, I went home on leave um, for about 10 days and then I was home. And at that time it was the first time I smoked DMT. And hmm. when I smoked DMT, I had this amazing vision of being in this like jungle setting that looked like watercolors dripping from every leaf and all this stuff. And there was like weird creatures moving around And then the environment started talking to me in this setting and held me like, uh, like a child being held by its mother. And then I realized I was in this trip and was going, Oh man, I'm having this, this trip. What, what happened? Uh, I have so many questions for you. And this environment told me to go to the jungle. And that's what really sparked my, my research binge into ayahuasca. So you got a message from the DMT entities or the DMT <laughs> experience that said, Hey, this is what's next for you. Yeah. It was, uh, wow. it was, it was too, um, too real. <laughs> you know, it was like, how can I not listen to this? Yeah. So, um, I went back to Iraq and, um, and then prepared to go to drink ayahuasca. And then I found that place in Pucalpa and by prepared, I got on the diet and, uh, for like, for 30, like three months prior, I just went on a workout binge, ate the diet and meditated and all this stuff that people suggested to do before you go drink ayahuasca, because I was terrified. I mean, absolutely mm. shaking in my boots, terrified. So I was like, anything that will help me the better. So why do you think I, you were so, so terrified? I think there was a lot of unconscious things I did not want to acknowledge about myself. And I knew mm. I think I knew very deeply that going to do this was going to bring those to the surface. And I didn't know what they were because I Mm. wasn't conscious of them. And, um, I just knew that I needed to do this and I didn't know why I just, uh, but the more I thought about it, the more it scared me and, and psychedelics alone, like they, even before ayahuasca, they, they still made me kind of shake in my boots. They're, they're very powerful, uh, mm-hmm. It's a very powerful experience. And I, at that time in my life was not privy to what surrender actually meant, like surrendering to the ocean or the flow of life. I mm. didn't, un- I didn't understand that concept because surrender was a four letter word for me. Oh yeah. So, so you I- ended up in the, in the jungle doing a, a nine day uh, event with four ayahuasca experiences. What was that like? Uh uh, each ceremony was uh, was a different ceremony, like a, a whole different um, experience. But all of them tied up, like I was going in for a doctor's meeting, and that he was, and she was like, you know, here we go, let's pick up right where we left off. Mm-hmm. You know, like we we ended this today, so we're gonna start this the next day. And um, my my first ceremony was fantastic. My second ceremony was um, very very difficult because that was where I uh, experienced uh, my first ego death in, in that mm. aspect i lost my sense of self and needed to to individually let go of pieces of my identity that i didn't really want to let go of uh, because i thought that they were you know a part of who i really am and uh yeah but 
the the ceremonies alone, I mean, like there they were kind of a roller coaster all over the place, like suffering and joy and happiness and and it's uh and and really to describe them in in like a story form wouldn't even do them justice. Um, it, mm. it it's uh it was such a personal experience right. that uh that that I it's hard to 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 give out in words. But all I do know is that after those four ceremonies, I was a completely different person and I was filled with joy and love and trust and all these Mm. things that I hadn't felt uh, openly. uh, I don't think in my whole lifetime, except for maybe when I was a child. Um, And those uh, I think were the three big tools that I got from ayahuasca from that retreat was unconditional love, unconditional acceptance and unconditional trust and trust in the process, trust in the people, trust in all of it. And, and, and so I learned those lessons in ceremony and then I went back to Iraq uh, Hmm. because I was still on my contract. And so a couple, like three or four days after I did this retreat, I flew back to Iraq and wow, I was pretty conflicted um, at first because I, I didn't want to be violent anymore in my life, but this job I had um, at times could require me to be violent if needed be. And thankfully mm-hmm. at the time that contract was very quiet. There was mostly just training and patrols and, you know, nothing else. We like, like I said before, a couple, a couple mortar attacks, uh, but nothing in the vicinity of populated areas. So nothing like to worry about. And so it was really quiet. And I had a lot of good friends uh, out there, like such good friends. And I would, and I had been talking to them about ayahuasca and all this stuff for so long (laughs) that they were just as interested on how I was going to return. So I, you know, just knew I needed to go back. So when I got back to Iraq, um, the change was very noticeable for everyone around me. Um, hmm. and they all, uh, were dumbfounded by, they, they, I heard words like Jared, you're glowing, you know, really? uh, like I heard that, you know, I've never seen you smile like this. I've never seen you smile at all, you know, wow. like, um, and, and so I used those three things that I learned from ayahuasca um, unconditional love, unconditional trust, and unconditional acceptance um, out there as my tools, because she had uh, explained to me that these were the greatest and most powerful tools or weapons for a warrior to use. So I went out there and before I was pretty closed off and pretty abrasive. <laughs> I mean, like someone told me what to do and I didn't like it. I'd usually chew their head off and, yeah. then apo- and apologize later for it usually. Right. Um, but Um, or, and I would treat the Iraqis like less than humans. Mm -hmm. I would, I would treat them pretty poorly. Like I would, when I was training them, for instance, I would get upset and frustrated with them because they didn't know how to read a map or they didn't know how to do certain things when they're just trying to learn. Mm -hmm. And, and I would treat them like, uh, like really like I was treated in the Marine Corps when I didn't know, like, uh, like a boot or, um, or someone that's less than, and, it, uh, and so when I got back, I made the conscious decision to not do that anymore. Hmm. So I made it my mission to get to know the people around me, to, to get to know everybody around me that I could and, and, and be kind. So I went out to Iraq and, and started to get to know everybody. 
Um, I had, how did that affect your whole existence out there? How did that affect your experience to come back with that kind of a, that kind of a perspective? I was still struggling with, um, with the concept of what nonviolence really meant. And I understood the nonviolence of the physical, but not really the mental or the the spiritual side of it. Mm-hmm. And, um, and so I was thinking, well, this is what I'm good at. This is what I'm professional at. So I'm going to keep going out here and doing this until something else comes along until something better comes along where I, or I think of something. Um, and it affected me so greatly that I wanted to see um, how things would change uh, out there more than out in the, back in the, in the United States, because mm-hmm. I, I figured that if I could, if I could watch a drastic shift of consciousness happen around me in Iraq, I could do it anywhere. Yeah. And, and so I kind of had this mission because I was surrounded by guys who had been through some really horrendous things in their life and had, um, and were in a lot of pain because I now had been aware of the pain that they were in by noticing the pain in myself and the fear that they were going through in life. Um, and, and so I wanted, I mean, first of all, I wanted them to go drink ayahuasca. That was like one of my biggest follies with integration was I wanted to tell everybody to go drink ayahuasca yeah. and, uh, it turned more people off than it turned them on to it. So right. I, yeah. um, it's, um, it's, it wasn't until later when I realized that it was through my actions that, uh, that, that was giving the message of like what ayahuasca did for me. And, and so when I went out there and treated people so kindly and listened to their stories and, and had some really deep philosophical, spiritual conversations with them, uh, we became close, really close. And that changed the whole paradigm for me out there. It stopped being a job in Iraq in a combat zone to home. It became home. Hmm. That is a big change. It's, it, it's a huge change. And what I had realized is that I'm always home. As long as I'm in my heart, I'm always home. So I worked with all these guys and I got really close with the Iraqis and I have, I still to this day have friends that are that the Iraqis that I worked with out there. And, um, and yeah, it, it completely shifted the paradigm. And for me, um, I did that for about another 10 months. I was out there probably. And then, um, and then in January of 2017, I, uh, quit that job and then moved to the Amazon jungle to work at the center that had helped me so much. Mm. So, so I then became a facilitator at an ayahuasca center for uh, the next nine months. And, uh, and in that time frame, I, I got to work with shamans and the people out there and drink uh, a lot of ayahuasca. <laughs> right. So, so, which is just kind of part, part of the package for, for living in an ayahuasca center and, and studying under shamans and stuff. You just drink a lot of ayahuasca. And, and I had a, and I had a lot more healing to do. Um, but though my intention for drinking a lot of the times was not for healing more for insight or learning. Mm-hmm. Um, but there was still a lot of healing that occurred for me by helping others and to be there. And I will say that after working there and experiencing that as a guest, I will say it was the people that really helped me the most. Ayahuasca really opened my heart up for me internally, 
but the people around me that showed me so much love and support through that process uh, shifted the whole perspective for me on like what is possible and how people can be treated. Hmm. So um, I do want to say uh, the center's name is Nima Kaya. So if anybody wants to look it up. Okay. If there's a website, I'll try to find it. Okay. Uh, there is a website. I think it's just All right. I'll put that on the, uh, the text. Awesome. Um, so after I facilitated for about nine months out there and uh, went through a huge drastic shift of not only uh, mental uh, capacity and, and consciousness, but also um, I went through a complete physical manifestation because I was eating up on a plant diet and all this stuff. So I went from about 210 pounds of like muscle and, and whatnot to about 175 pounds of very light, um, <laughs> very yeah. light body. So huh. it was, so I lost a, and I, and I never felt better in my whole life. I, I was healthy and, and clean and glowing and all these things that, uh, that I had been uh, seeing in myself and others. And, uh, and the story continues on. Cause the next thing after I left that center, I got invited to do a documentary, uh, that is still not out yet, but more people are more than welcome to look it up online. It's called ayahuasca now. Um, huh. It's uh, it should be releasing sometime this year, from what nice. I've been hearing. So, um, but this was in 2017, still in August. So I, um, so I went to this documentary, and it was a documentary about veterans, uh, in ayahuasca. And the funny thing was, is that my whole intention for going down to drink to to be a facilitator was, I was hopeful that there were going to be some veterans there who were going through the same process that I was going through because I wanted to give this medicine to the veteran community right. because it it had helped me so much and I knew that there was so much pain happening in 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 my community that I that this is where my arms reaches. So I tried to I wanted to to give that as much as I could, and we had one veteran come and he's an he was an amazing guy. But the, so then I got invited to this veteran retreat, which was uh, mind blowing to me because I, that was like what I wanted. So, um, and it was uh, going to be documented. And on that retreat, we did, uh, we did a lot of medicine. We did uh, hmm. eight, we did eight ceremonies, a Bufo ceremony, a San Pedro ceremony. Um, and it was a lot, a lot, a lot of work for everybody. And yeah, uh, that sounds like a lot. And, and by the end of it, we were all pretty, uh, it wasn't, we weren't really on cloud nine, uh, like I was after my first time drinking, but I think that's cause we were just so exhausted from, right. from working with the medicine, but everyone seemed to have integrated wonderfully and come out of it. Um, very much changed from that experience. Um, nice. and on that documentary is, uh, where I met my soulmate. And one of the reasons why I live where I live now is because I met her out there and, and then I also met uh, my, my friend and business partner, Jesse Gould, who is the founder of Heroic Hearts Project. And mm -hmm. he was an army, army ranger. And um, he also had a profound experience with ayahuasca and founded this organization called Heroic Hearts and then asked me to join him uh, in, in our, in that mission to help coach everybody through the process of like getting ready for it and coming back from it. And even during, so, uh, I have been all about it ever since. <laughs> I mean, like, right. that's been my, that's been my, my, my passion, my love, my life goal, uh, is, is just, is, is with this organization and what we do for the veteran community. And as part of that, you are an integration coach. So you, like you just summarized, you work with people before 
you know, and then after to integrate it all, what, what do you think are the important aspects of integration? Why, why would somebody choose to work with an integration coach as opposed to just kind of go it alone and go it on their own? Well, you can go at it alone. I mean, there's nothing wrong with that. An integration coach is just there as a person who's been there, uh, who, who understands uh, the pitfalls of integration. The, uh, oh my God, I'm a shaman. Uh, oh my God, I, I, uh, my whole life has changed. Uh, oh my God, I'm loving everyone so much that I'm not feeling uh, much anything else and it's scaring me. Like, mm-hmm. uh, or, or, oh my God, I've had a really terrible experience and I don't know what to do with it. It's, uh, it, it traumatized me. You know, and right. you you might need someone to help, uh, who's been through that experience to help kind of bridge it to help you understand maybe what the message is underneath all the the trauma that was brought up. So there's there's lots of reasons to have a a person that's been there to be next to you and at least talk to about what your experience was and how you can better prepare or uh, integrate what you learned. Yeah. Um. If somebody comes like when somebody listens to this and you're you're out there talking a lot about these experiences, if somebody comes up to you curious, you know, about this work and wants advice, you know, what's kind of some general advice you tend to give people who are exploring the idea of doing this and looking to possibly try it themselves? Uh, well, I usually give the 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 three coin phrase that uh or the two coin phrase that we learned in the '60s, you know, set and setting. Yeah, yeah. So um, I usually always suggest to them that they do their research and find out what would be the best one for them to work with. And if they were going to work with that, make sure they do it with a guide or a person who's done it enough to be able to just hang out with you while you're while you're going through it. And then make sure that you have had the rock, the proper setting. So in and to figure out what maybe your intention would be for it. And by setting, I mean, like if you, if your intention is to do some inner self-exploration, you might want a room uh, that's quiet with some soft music and some eye shades for you to kind of be able to go in. And now if your intention is to have a good time, you also want to make sure that it's probably in a setting where you're going to know everyone around you and that you feel safe. So probably like your home or mm-hmm. somewhere else, like festivals and whatnot are usually not a good place to do it. Right. But, uh, but that you can choose to do them if you're going to do them wherever I just try to be as safe as possible. The way I, the way I see it is, is that I turn into a big walking 200 pound toddler when I use psychedelics. Hmm. So baby proof your house and uh, have fun and enjoy it and, and, and try to go as in as possible. And uh, that's a, and that's really the, the key to it is where your, what your intention is or your mindset, like what's your, what's your reason for doing this? And, and then what setting are you taking it in? Is it going to be safe? Is it going to be comforting? Is there a place for you to lie down? Is there a place for you to get water? You know, just like the basic stuff, you got to think of yourself as you're going to be a big toddler. So, yeah. Interesting. Yeah. I haven't heard that perspective, but that's pretty accurate. I never heard anybody say baby proof your house. That's pretty funny. (laughs) Um, so what, what else? Is there anything else you want to share? I really appreciate you coming on here and talking about, you know, your transformation and, and, and the changes in you that came from the medicines, you know, your, your finding of, you know, acceptance and love and trust. That's, a, that's a, such a powerful message. Is there anything else you want to, want to get out there? Anything about Heroic Hearts, about your own integration coaching practice or anything else in general? 
Yeah, I'll, I'll talk a little bit about Heroic Hearts. So uh, Heroic Hearts Project is a nonprofit that's, that literally is dedicated to sending veterans to ayahuasca uh, retreats or to uh, other psychedelic therapies. So veterans that can't uh, afford it, we provide scholarships and we'll pay for it if they need to. We ask that everyone pay as much as they can uh, mm-hmm. because, uh, you know, we're still a small nonprofit and we work on donations only. So uh, we try to save as much as we can to help those vets who are in a really tough spot, because as we all know, like uh, depression and PTSD and whatnot usually doesn't leave you pretty financially stable. That's usually right. part of the part of the issue. So uh, there is a, a website everyone can go to. It's www.heroichearts.org. And if you'd like to sign up, there is a application um, form on that website that you can sign up for. And there's also more information about our team and, and what we do and everything on there. Um, as far as one of the things that kind of sets us aside from a lot of um, uh, therapies is that we do an integration coaching uh, aspect that I have not seen uh, anywhere else. We, we start them, we start the vets out about a month to a month and a half prior with their individual integration coach and group calls before. So they get a preparation phase before they go drink ayahuasca. So we can help them prepare for the diet, prepare their mind for the setting, get their intentions down to a good mantra that they can remember before they leave. So that way they know why they're going and what they're Hmm. trying to heal. And then, we go down there uh, to the retreat and just recently I actually had, cause uh, we're at, at this point now, it's really nice that I just got to be a coach and then also go down to the retreat with them and help facilitate and participate with them. Wow. And that was uh, very powerful for me and, and such, such an amazing bond that I formed with all these people. I love them so much. <laughs> yeah. And, that's incredible. And, and now, uh, and, and then we do, after they get back, they do about two more months of group calls and uh, individual integration coaching just to see where they're at and see how things are. Cause life has a way of, uh, of coming at us, no matter if we just got back from a really wonderful experience or not. So we, we provide a, a coach for them to, to be able to, to be an ear to listen to and to help them guide them through their process of integration. And then afterwards, uh, they're, put into our heroic hearts uh, alumni community, which we have uh, a couple things on social media that we're working on. And in the future, we're actually going to be working on more and more alumni programs uh, uh, to continue the, the activities and stuff outside of the medicine. So maybe doing like um, outdoor stuff or, or whatever we decide to come up with, but it's uh, it's still in the works at the time. Nice. And in addition, you know, obviously there may be veterans out there listening to this who want to get there and, and you've given them that. What about, people who want to, to help you guys that they're inspired by what you're saying here and want to reach out and contribute or volunteer or whatever. Are there opportunities for people to actually get involved in, in on whatever level to help this cause? Absolutely. There is a, we have started an ambassador program mm-hmm. and in, in that program that we, we reach out to the ambassadors and have them help out with the things that we need uh, as far as, um, you know, support or social media outreach or any of these other things. And this, this too is also an evolving program because we're, we're such a, we're very, we're, our company's kind of, or the nonprofit's really in its infancy. So it's a, this, this stuff is very evolving. So we have a a good group of, um, of ambassadors at the time right now. And it's, it's growing and thank God, because uh, this, uh, this message kind of sells itself. 
So the best way to, to get involved with uh, participating would be to reach out with one of us on Facebook or um, uh, through my email, which uh, hopefully can be uh, posted on here or the, yep. at least I'll post it. And then, um, and you can reach out to with me and I'll link you up with, uh, with Jenny, who's the lead for our ambassador program. And to be honest, the best absolute way that anybody could ever help us, and I know everyone's going to know what I'm going to say, is, uh, is to donate, <laughs> is to mm-hmm. donate. Uh, put it on your Amazon Smile account, uh, put it for your birthday fundraiser donation, or if you know somebody who's really, uh, that, that really would like to help out the psychedelic research or help veterans, uh, please have them uh, reach out to us and, and donate because uh, this, it costs about $3,500 to send one veteran to a retreat. That's for everything. Uh, so each vet, um, it, it costs a, it cost a, a pretty large amount for each person to go. So the, we, we don't, we only have so many donations and our waiting list is only growing. It's only growing wow. uh, exponentially at this time. So we only have so much we can do. So the best way for anybody is to get the word out uh, and to, and to really donate and give their time if they can. Excellent. Yeah. We'll, we'll help that. We'll put some links on there and uh, see if we can't uh, rouse up some donations. So, um, anything else, Jared? Uh, no, I'm, I'm, I'm complete. <laughs> okay. <laughs> you sound complete and that's the, the transformation. So, um, yeah, truly inspired by your, your story and, and everything that you're doing to help people. I really appreciate that. And, uh, just want to thank you for coming on here and, and, and sharing that with us. Thank you so much, Stuart. This was amazing. That concludes this edition of the Stoned Ape Reports. Thank you for listening. Please follow us on Instagram at Stoned Ape Comedy and subscribe to our newsletter at www.stonedapecomedy.com. Again, thanks for listening, and catch you next time, Stoned Apes.